Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview is with filmmaker, historian, author, and journalist Brian McKenna, who's, who's best known for his provocative and prize-winning films uh, on Canada and, 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 and world history, Great War, The Killing Ground, War at Sea, and he's got a new film coming out, uh, Newfoundland at Armageddon. It's going to be airing on CBC on June the 30th and then available online. We talk about a lot of things, as per usual, in most of my interviews, but but one of the most fascinating uh, things that we talk about is how uh, Brian was sort of propelled into into storytelling, and it's a great story, and you're going to need to listen to to the interview to find out a little bit more about it, but it involves bullying, and it's it's a great story, but we talk about filmmaking, we talk about history and, and, the, and the madness of, of war, and this, this idea of a just war, and, and, and unnecessary war, and we talk about um, personal stories, and, and, and how they have a, a, or can have, and do have an impact on not only who we are, but how we're, we're going to, um, you know, behave in the future as well. And so, fascinating conversation with Brian. I uh, hope uh, if it uh, doesn't introduce you to his uh, filmmaking and his career, I hope it does uh, uh, definitely today. If you don't know him, you will now. Uh, Brian McKenna is with us here today, davidpecklive.com, for more info about my podcasting and speaking and so on. Uh, Brian McKenna and Newfoundland at Armageddon. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a, a very special guest today. He's a filmmaker, historian, author, journalist. Uh, Brian McKenna here uh, is with us today to talk about his new film, Newfoundland at Armageddon. It's going to air on CBC on June the 30th at 8 p.m. Brian, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the invitation. So your uh, d- documentary background, The Great War, The Killing Ground, War at Sea, The Valor and the Horror, you seem to have Korea. a career Korea, Korea. Korea. Well, Korea. Oh, Korea. Yeah, built, war. built, built around um, stories about war. Is it? Is it a? 
is it is it a fascination? Is it a your your own desire personally to sort of come to terms with it in, in, in its own way? Is that kind of what has drawn you to some of these stories, or can you can you talk about that a bit? The story of the country is the story of war, mm. um, and mm. from the days of uh, I guess the battle of the plains of Abraham, Wolf and Hong Kong facing each other, and uh, with the uh, with uh, the French crown fighting the uh, the English crown and the uh, the English crown vanquishing. Um, it starts there, and then into the War of 1812, and I, the War of 1812, oh my God, I, I had no idea hmm. how close we came to being all Americans. <laughs> just, you know, just because of the, the, the valiance of, uh, of, of Brock and uh, Tecumseh especially, and uh, I'd never heard of uh, Tecumseh's role and critical role in the War of 1812 that without his intervention, uh, there would be no Canada, really. And uh, that led me to a series on chiefs um, where the, the idea of using descendants began to really take shape. And, and the idea is, for example, on the chiefs series, was take um, the grandson of Sitting Bull and bring him to the Little Bighorn where that incredible battle was fought. And... Um, and let the story unfold, uh, where he, in fact, tells his son the story of the battle. So is there a sense in which we're not Canadians unless we sort of, you know, understand some of these stories, as far as you're concerned? Uh, well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what makes it, of course, much more complex is, is the fact that uh, the huge waves of immigration we've seen bring every one of these immigrants, uh, many of them refugees, mm -hmm. bring their own stories mm -hmm. of, of war and and those stories are woven uh, delicately into the fabric of our of our country, and that's the challenge that um, around the world, of course, this is being uh, this is being challenged. The idea of of the refugees, of the immigrants, and the, their critical role in the future of the country, and um, in you know we've just had in England the, the rejection of a, of, a, of an incredible experiment, mm. and. Uh, in this Brexit thing, and uh, and from there we move to another level um, with hopefully an American presidential election that will shake us all to the, to the very roots. I, um, I, everyone I, should be down on their hands and knees, right, praying right. <laughs> for for praying for what? Maybe the is the question. Well, that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah. What what do we need? You know, what what is around the corner? It it does seem like a bit of a frightening time. I mean, I mean, we live just around the corner from Bernie Sanders, so it's been amazing to see his campaign mm -hmm. launched from right. from nothing. Um, you know, I think he had one half of one percent of the of the of the vote when he started off, and. Uh, here he is challenging the democratic establishment. You know, for you know, Bernie Sanders is a great guy to sort of invoke uh, as we talk about you know your your career as a filmmaker, your 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 obviously your desire for social change of various kinds. You you want to tell stories and and I would imagine shift the dialogue and the conversation to some degree. I had no idea about Newfoundland at Armageddon, or at least you know certainly knew about the Battle of the Somme and. Uh, oh, and I have to tell you, I was not that long ago was in the U.S. Uh, driving through Washington D.C. and I, I had the opportunity to make a crack about how you know don't forget we we did beat you, uh, you know, right. <laughs> a few years ago, you know, not that yeah. long ago, not that long, not ago that long ago, and and so this 
the guy who was sort of chauffeuring me, uh, a friend, as it turns out. But he was sort of quick to make sure that 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 uh, I still knew who was in control. It was really kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, no. In fact, when we did the series, uh, the PBS people who we asked, we tried to get involved right. in buying it said, "Well, that's not the war we learned." In that's hilarious, especially saying that to a documentarian is very funny. Yeah. So, was is there something in your past that brought you into the the the, the narrative of this story, Newfoundland at Armageddon and, and the Battle of the Somme on July the first? And I find it fascinating that for so many Canadians, this is a day of celebration, yet for some, um, still very much a day of remembrance. I think that's a well really for my own family, uh, ah, my okay. grandfather's kid brother mm. um, uh, fought the Battle of the Somme. Um, he was killed, I guess, two months earlier than the battle uh, that was fought by the Newfoundlanders. Um, but he is uh, he is laid to rest uh, just outside the, city, the Belgian city of Ypres, uh, where he was killed uh, on the 26th of January. Yeah, I have uh, I have I have family uh, there as well. Yeah, well, there. I mean, Corselet. Canadians. I mean, they have no idea that. I think it's 400,000 killed and wounded. Fifth, isn't uh, so, Brian? Isn't it fi- about fifty-eight thousand soldiers died on the Allies' side the first day? Yeah, that's right. The by first noon. day by noon. By uh, by noon. Fifty thousand were I mean, gone. The narrator in your film, when they, when he sort of unpacks, the, you know, as as you reenact the the scene and the machine guns and, mm. and so on, within a half an hour, I believe, most of the Newfoundlanders had twenty-two been minutes. Down. They 22 were gone. Minutes. Oh, all it's of just. I'm getting I'm getting a shiver as we yeah, chat no, about the sons. The fathers, mm. uh, the, the women watching them go, knowing, knowing they're not going to come back. And and the men in the trenches hours before were, were not very far from those minutes where that, that, that extraordinary battalion uh, gathered themselves up, heard the whistle blow, mm. and rose up out of the mud and the blood and, and began the march, the, the desperate terrible march into the German machine guns and the machine gunners were the German machine gunners were terrified they were outnumbered seven to one oh, is that and right? they see these and they said if the Newfoundlanders had only run right they, they could have overrun us well I just the, you know I can't even begin to describe the horror I felt for you know I've, I've certainly watched a few films over the years I've read a few books Adam Hochschild by the way one of my favorite authors yeah he's, <laughs> he's utterly brilliant you know, and I've heard the history, and I've read it, and so on. But to see it reenacted in such a compelling way in your film was heartbreaking, uh, gut wrenching. To to you know, uh, walking speed. Let me get this straight: you're going to go up a ladder, you're going to carry a ladder, yeah, across an open field at walking speed while machine gun fire is coming at you, and you're you're going to do nothing other than get mowed down. Yeah, it's. I mean, to 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 to. To define that as absurd is an understatement at best. It seems to me. Over the pain that it that it implies mm. from every level, and and also a society that sends its best right to war, mm. uh, its best lawyers, its best engineers, its best fishermen by the hundreds. You send them off to battle. You just know that most of them are not going to come back. Right. I mean, you're you're hoping against hope, but you know. The word starts to filter back that something terrible happened on the first of July, and we're not going to talk about it very much. And in fact, the war, the real word, didn't come come back for about two weeks after the battle. But it, for us, it was catching those moments. You yes, know, the, yes. The Air family, 
Yes. And, and four of them killed within an hour four, of each other. Four of them and died. And the patriarch, he still can't talk about it without his eyes moistening. Mm. And, uh, and just, you know, he says, I know within a few feet where each one of them died, each one of the four. And it's just... Um, so, so we're a hundred years, hundred years later, and it's still like and it, it's, happened. It's, it happened yesterday. It happened. You yesterday. want, and of course, it's it's that magnificent recreation of a battlefield that the Newfoundlanders have done. That the women of Newfoundland gathered with the chaplain of the regiment who lost his faith in God that morning, mm. and uh, basically decided that they were going to preserve this battlefield, and it is the most moving battlefield um, on the Western Front. With the possible exception of Vimy Ridge, but Vimy Ridge is more uh, a declaration of nationhood, mm. while uh, uh, I guess the Newfoundlanders was a loss of nationhood, and that is at the core of. Uh, well, we had some we had some discussion about that. The Newfoundlanders uh, believed that they lost their country that morning. Right. They lost. Well, in a sense, dominion. they did. They were dominion, just like Canada, and and it. It was gone. Old, old, oldest colony of the British Empire, is that right? That's right. Yeah, 1940. So was there a sense in which uh, Britain disregarded Newfoundland? I mean, they called it, uh, I think... Uh, in the cod fishery. From the grand cod fishery of the universe. Yeah. Which is lovely, uh, depending, I guess, uh, you know, for dinner conversation. Well, it was pat yeah, it was patronizing as hell. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, the, I mean, the Brits basically... Uh, they insisted the Newfoundlanders pay their own shot, mm -hmm. and then after the war, when everyone else had their 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 uh, sins forgiven and their uh, debts forgiven, um, then the Newfoundlanders were told, "No, <laughs> that's not going to happen for you." And so they basically scraped together over how many generations every last penny and paid off their full war debt, and in doing so, um, basically finished off any possibility of them having a separate. A uh, did did I hear that right? A hundred million dollars in debt in 1932. You know, it's beyond. Uh, you know, this, uh, there are a quarter of a million people. I mean, what what's going on here? Yeah, no, this this is insane. Couldn't couldn't even service the interest at that point. No. And the and the women, of course, this is a story that I've been trying to get at for for uh, how many of these series, and I I keep saying, I kept saying that you know I'm going to include the story of the women much mm. more powerfully. Mm. And you and it's uh, sometimes when you have to make a cut. That that story goes, and that right. story goes. Right. But we were determined it wasn't going to happen this time. Right. They're going to be front, front and center, and uh, and that became an important part of the film. The idea that they raised twenty million dollars, yes, you know, by selling by selling potatoes, right, by auctioning off. It's a lot of potatoes. Sweaters and yeah, uh, just amazing what those women did, and uh, and the grief that they carried around on mm. a daily basis. Mm. I just can't imagine. Well. It, it's interesting to me how you, you, you kind of, I mean, it's certainly a continuous thread throughout, and I don't know how you can't think about the splash and ripple effect and the implications of the things that we do today affect what we do tomorrow and so on, but the impact of this, as you say, 100 years later, right? And, and, and just the generational impact and so and, and, and how it had an effect and, and the PTSD and the, the grief that these people well, carried. The, the, what kind of people are we today that we wouldn't have been you know, well, especially Newfoundlanders. Yeah. And even the fact that their university is called Memorial, and mm. it's called Memorial because it's mm. remember, remember right. that terrible morning. Right. And uh, and that's why it's called Memorial, indeed. Is, I mean, what do you what do you learn? You know, as a historian, as an author and journalist and filmmaker, that clearly has had a theme 
Um, what do you learn about human nature? What do you learn about the, the, the madness that is civilization from making these films about war? Is, is, it, is it always going to be a part of who we are? and our future or I think it is always mm. it is part of the DNA mm. uh, of mm. the species I guess uh, and it and it's a question of channeling it and controlling it and and stopping it and uh, I mean right right through I mean Pierre Trudeau whose memoirs I had the great good fortune to make um, was a real understood war and and decided that he wasn't going to uh, get involved very deeply especially right. in the Second World War. And he took a lot of heat for that. But uh, that was a constant theme. Never advertised loudly, but a constant theme in his, uh, in his writing and his work. And it was opposition to war. And of course, in the 1960s, I ran into, well, I was, uh, I was a university uh, student editor. Mm. So where the hell was I going to? I was on the street. I was not almost on the streets. I was on the campus waving placards and taking on Jesuit uh, priests who were quite determined to shut me down in my valiant attempts at being a newspaper editor. But, uh, no, it's, uh, it's a constant theme. I think the, uh, the, the, I, I forget who it was, but, uh, somebody in the films talks about the machinery being in motion and, and once some of those decisions were made on that morning to, to well, we haven't even touched on this madman. The the madman of it, the hell, you know, the 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 Hague. The Hague, exactly. And what's interesting, I did a little bit of research on my wife's great uh, Elizabeth's great grandfather, who died of Corselet in France a mm. few months a few months after this this no, battle. No, the, the Van Dus fought at Corselet. Well, Hague was he was he was leading that group as That's well, right. you know. And so you watch this in con in some kind of context here, and you say, how how is this even possible? You know, which you've also got people in the film asking that question as well. Yeah, and no, well, and uh, and very and eloquently asked in in terms of uh, of, of of the way it unfolded. Mm. I mean, the question was asked by Gwen Dyer and no better yeah. no better Newfoundlander, you know, and and Adam Hochschild basically saying this man was a megalomaniac. He right. believed he was touched by God to bring uh, glory and honor to the to the British race, and um, mm. and uh, and. Uh, there was no need to worry about about the battle. Uh, his men, you know, they were ordered to do something and do it. And I'm sure we'll do it do it well. And meanwhile, let's sit down and have some champagne the night before. Well, it's it's in, it's insanity when you know when you cross cut that scene with the champagne scene. It's just in, insane. I think a Hostchild said in the films, uh, paraphrase your pecky and paraphrase. But God, when God is enlisted, anything you do is justifiable. That's right. And it just it seems to kind of change everything. Um, not, I mean, it's a haunting story too. I mean, mm -hmm. even almost literally in terms of, I'd never heard of the the word fetch before, hmm. but the idea that this ghostly presence, her son, one afternoon on the first of July, nineteen sixteen, appears in the in the in the tree line, right, and she realizes that he's probably dying this moment, and. Touches a Newfoundland word for a ghost, hmm. a ghost that is sent to summon, right, or to reveal. In this case, the revelation was her son was gone, and uh, and the way that she tells it, it's, there's no question in your mind that this is what happened. In actually, in uh, in the film I made on the Battle of Hong Kong in the Second World War, uh, another soldier told a similar story about he basically. Uh, in, almost in conversation with his mother and assuring her that he was going to be okay. And he, 
actually ended up okay. The ghost <laughs> declared him. So. Mm. Are you, um, you know, just in, you know, as we sort of tease out some of the stuff around around Hague and so on, would you would you call your would you call yourself a, a, a pacifist? Mm. It's a, it's a big question. No, I'm not a pacifist. I, uh, the battles had to be fought. When I, you know, the, I mean, we started this conversation talking about war, mm. and and for me, it, these are the wars that sowed that, that laid the, the basis for the country, and, mm -hmm. and it starts with uh, the Battle of the Plains of Abraham. It continues into the War of 1812. I mean, you come to Montreal, you walk down the Chateau de Ramsey in old in, in the old city. Uh, you should understand that in the in the winter of 18, uh, I guess 1813, that winter Benjamin Franklin was there with the occupying American army. Mm. They had actually taken the city, and uh, and then they were driven out. And uh, so those, I mean, without that battle being fought, we wouldn't have a Canada. Right. And so I can't declare myself a pacifist because I support the war. I mean, St. Augustine talked about the just war, and I believe, in fact, there are just wars. To escape the, the, the tentacles of the American empire, we fought a bloody war, and we prevailed. And uh, thank God for that. Mm. Yeah, it's so, it's so funny, you know, just the phrase, thank God for that, right? I mean, the the, uh, the invocation of, of a divinity at uh, given points in, in, in our history has sort of, I suppose, in some ways propelled us forward into the mm -hmm. future. But more often than not, it seems we hear about the stories where it we go way sideways, where something doesn't unfold, it completely, like this battle, unravels as a result of this hubris and ego. And it has nothing to do with God, it seems to me. It has nothing no. to do with religion at all. This is, well, this especially is with the Germans invoking the same God. Of <laughs> right, right. Because, um, I mean, in the end, I mean, we didn't really explore that fully, but the German generals were just as insane as the, uh, as the British generals when, when we got right down to it. Mm. But um, I guess on one side we, we say that the cause was greater. Uh, but, I mean, John Keegan, who is one of the great uh, historians, not just military historians, he called this the Battle of the Somme River the greatest catastrophe in the history of Britain. Wow. And uh, coming from him, that's really something. And uh, and you see it, you know, the scale of the slaughter and uh, the way it, it unfolds, it, it, it's unspeakable. It, it, it really is. And uh, I think the, you know, the, the, there was a line in the film that the narrator uses, how quickly it turned into chaos. Mm. And I don't think anyone who, who, I mean, any of us who haven't actually experienced that, the, the madness of barbed wire and the machine gun and the sounds. And I remember uh, Elizabeth and I were in Vietnam and we, we were wandering through a battlefield in Kuchi uh, in, in a couple hours from Saigon. And there was a gun range and we were walking by a, a tank that had been taken out by a delay mine. And, and you know, it wasn't that uh, overgrown uh, from a jungle perspective and, mm. and so on. But it was, you know, we were sort of in the middle of it, you know, wandering through a battlefield. And a machine gun started, it w went off in the background and it was somebody at a shooting range, you know, paying a buck a minute or a buck a bullet or something mm. ridiculous. And I remember saying to Elizabeth, can you imagine, you know, landing here in darkness, things blowing up around you, you have, you know, how how do you how do you humanize that you know and 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 communicate that through film or through story in in, in a meaningful way? I mean, it's I mean that that I guess is the challenge I suppose of the filmmaker. Well, I mean, I think that's why um, 
that I've used this technique now. And that's that's the reenactment. Is that well bringing the the descendants in? That these that right, it's right. Not very far back. That yeah. In some cases, the father. In some cases, it's the grandfather. And sometimes, sometimes it's the great grandfather. But it's the mm. family connection. Mm. Yeah, it's nice. And when they get it's it, good. and it's it's really something. Even it is. Itself, it is. But when I went first to the small cemetery outside the city of Ypres, where Adrian McKenna is buried, and when I first saw his name on that white stone, carved, Corporal Adrian McKenna died January 26, 1960. And it just sends a shiver down mm, your back. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what sends the shiver is the maple leaf that's carved beside right. his name. And that is what really gets you. These war cemeteries are just really something uh, all the way through the Western Front. Did you see, you know, the, the um, you know, the, these family members telling these stories, reenacting them, I mean, quite compelling, the footage of them getting prepared and dressed and not being able to put on some of the, you know, the backpack or the costume. Well, in the same way their grandfather's yeah. grandfather <laughs> I mean, these were teenagers, right? Yeah. That were fumbling around, one 15-year-old, I think, as yeah. you point out in the film. What, did, did anything, I mean, there must have been a really interesting sense of community that you developed on the film. Oh yeah, no, the, the, it's <laughs> and and revelations there, I would think. Well, it's, yeah, on many different levels, but just on the smallest levels. Then, I mean, the whole community got involved mm. um, in, in helping us. Rec- you know, even fixing, a, making a, a battlefield, right. digging the trenches, and and uh, we weren't at one point we weren't happy with the way that the battlefield was too green, um, <laughs> and uh, and we we basically got some blow torches and stuff, but that didn't do much. And the local, the hotel where we were staying, the whole crew, the owner of the hotel heard we were having these problems, and he went and grounded up half a dozen guys and with blow torches and the rest of it and turned a green battlefield into a black oh, morass. That's, <laughs> <laughs> and, that's uh, pretty funny. I can't that happening anywhere else in Canada. Right. Uh, you know, just the Newfoundlanders deciding that they're going to you know, tell this story. We're, uh, we're we couldn't have told it as well as uh, we hopefully did without those kinds of aids. There's, um, near the end of the film, uh, I think one of the, uh, might, might, not sure who it was, but uh, the quote was, people suffer losses that change their lives forever. And mm-hmm. I think the woman uh, reenacting, the one of the mothers um, says, that, you know, that bullet killed my husband just as it did our sons in France. Right. Because I think he died, uh, was that, that wasn't the heirs, was it? Um, I think he died three years later. After yeah, getting no, it, wasn't, it was not one of the heirs. Yeah. Getting after getting the news, that her yeah. husband, their father was dead. Never really came to terms with it. That sense of you know the splash and ripple effect, the the implications of this will, the PTSD, the the mental health implications will go on for for years and years to come. Oh, generation after generation, and uh, and it, it there's no question about it. So 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 do do we actually? <laughs> you know, you sound a little um, hmm. A, a little bit of a realist, you know. Oh yeah, you know, it's in our DNA. This, this, uh, this desi- maybe desire to fight is that it, um, um, or maybe it's a sense of pride, uh, nationalism. I'm not a hundred percent sure what it is, but, but what, what do we learn? I mean, you know, are are you, you know, are you hopeful? I think I, I asked Gwen Dyer the same thing. Mm. He looked me square in the eye and said, "War is a terrible thing," mm. and uh, mm. you can write as you know, there's encyclopedias been written about war. Um, and we try and tell uh, important stories for 
this country uh, in a distinctive way and to honor the men who died uh, putting the country together. And uh, that's all we can do in the end. And uh, hope that it has an impact on the next generation. Um, that they will not fight unnecessary wars. Is that too mm -hmm. much to hope? Mm -hmm. um, depending, I guess, who is in power in any given time. Um, yeah. Well, the affliction of war is a great phrase that that comes up at the end of the film. Mm -hmm. I mean, the word affliction is just, I don't know, work, works on a few levels for me. Mm -hmm. Well, the whole post-traumatic stress syndrome is, it, I mean, it almost runs through the entire film. It right. The, the echo of the horror just down the tunnel of the years and, uh, and the impact it has on, on, on these young men to see four generations later. There it is. War and all its unspeakable glory and horror. So, Brian, we got we got to wrap it up probably in a few minutes. But I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear a little bit. Uh, and by the way, congratulations! And just as a quick uh, reminder here, so it's it's airing this Thursday, June thirtieth uh, at eight p.m. on CBC. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So, congratulations on the film again. Tell me a little bit. Um, why did you choose the whole you know storytelling? I mean, would you have always been? that? Were you always that as a kid? Uh, and did you sort of, um, hmm, did film choose you or did you choose it as a, a <clears throat> kind of a career, would you say? Uh, I was, uh, I was bullied a lot. Um, <laughs> okay. <in school>. And, <laughs> uh, that explains everything, Brian. And uh, so what happened was uh, one day uh, I was taxed by a couple of bullies on the way home hmm. from school and they took all my uh, change from my destination collecting from the Gazette route, my, my newspaper route. And so I had a couple of bucks that I was saving to have a chocolate ice cream soda at McDonald's Pharmacy right. in Belleville, Quebec. And, um, and they, they took my money. Hmm. And so I went home, and I didn't know. I was at a loss. I, 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 the idea of telling my parents was just didn't seem right somehow. So uh, what happened was I sat down and wrote an account of, of hmm. the taxing and the theft. How old were you at this point? Uh, I guess nine. Wow, yeah. okay. So I wrote it up. Yep. I, I, I came in early and I put it on the teacher's desk. And I just watched to see what would happen. And it was like I'd rolled a hand grenade down <laughs> the center aisle. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the two bullies were summoned from their desks. Wow. And um, one of them was uh, expelled for life, basically. Um, and the other was, uh, I guess, suspended for the rest of the year. So I, in those brief uh, minutes, I learned the power of words. Wow, yeah. And, um, and ever since then, I've respected the power of words enormously, and they are the ones that uh, have taken me this far in using the English language. And as a lovely phrase, uh, John Kennedy's, phrase about Churchill that he marshaled the English language and sent it off to war. Mm. Uh, well, I, I guess our films are constantly trying to do that. Do you think, do you think the film, the reenactment, uh, the documentary is a better way, a more, uh, I don't know, effective way to tell a story than, say, uh, you know, a piece of poetry or a play or, or you know, a novel? For say. Well, I, I think we try and weave, mm. uh, especially with Mr. Landers, we try and weave the poetry of the place, right. Um, the power of the poetry of the place, if I may. Right. Nice. Um, yep. in, into the story, and that in, in storytelling on film, you have two choices. You can do what we call exposition. You know, take a look at all these facts, interesting facts, 
and uh, and drama, uh, the dramatic telling of the story, that there is a beginning, a middle, and an end to the story. And uh, sometimes we're successful in doing it, sometimes not so. But uh, no, it's all it's all in the storytelling in, in the end. And uh, I've just been so lucky. I've had so many shots at, at trying to get it right. Um, and I'll, uh, as you may be aware, you know, in trying to get it right in the First World War, we took on the Bomber Command veterans, and they sued us for $500 million, uh, a lawsuit that went all the way to the Canadian Supreme Court, uh, um, a lawsuit that we fought, uh, and, and which stole a year from my life. So these are not just academic issues. Mm-hmm. For, mm-hmm. Um, they go right to the, the fundamentals of uh, well, freedom of speech. And, uh, well, and to kind of come full circle to our interview, they, you know, they kind of define us, well, they have to define us as Canadians. Yes. And define us a bit differently, I guess, if we don't know the story, obviously. But I guess that's part of your project as a filmmaker, as a poet, as an author, and so on, to to offset, uh, to footnote um, people's Canadian history here and there. Is that is that a is that a fair way to say it? Well, it's more than footnotes. <laughs> we try and footnote our stories, but right, right. The, the thrust of the story is. Uh, this gathers the, the momentum as you as you. Find yeah, it. I guess what I meant was is footnote, like a footnote to my life. Like I I, I am now uh, at the risk of overstating. I'm a different person as a result of of this story, of this mm-hmm. conversation, and so on. And will I, you know, uh, I've, I've, honestly, it's already three phone calls and a couple emails <laughs> right. out to others, out to my uh, my my uh, my mother-in-law. Well, you know, tell me tell me about granddad. Tell me about my granddad, and so on, and mm-hmm. so. Isn't that remarkable, really? Well, actually, what the Canadian government is doing is is really uh, laudatory because they basically put the story that each one of those Canadians, those 58,000 or almost 59,000 Canadians who died in combat in the First World War, they put them online. Mm. You can, Mm. you know, it's a virtual war memorial. You pop in the name and out out come, out come. And in many cases, there's everything there the whole uh, medical records, the. one of my grandfather's older brother uh, won the military cross uh, at the crossing of the uh, an important canal, the Canal du Nord in northern France, and he, he, was, he was awarded the military cross by the King of England, and uh, all a very big deal in those days. And uh, that's all part of the hmm. telling of the story. Yeah, no, it's remarkable. Just before we wrap up, I, I want to. There's a there's a moment in the film where I think uh, one of the, the narrators says something to the effect of the Newfoundlanders learned very quickly that you know, uh, quote, rules were made to be followed. Yeah, it's a lovely phrase. It's a great phrase, but really, I mean, I'm, I'm I've got philosophy in my background, et cetera, and I've always been more interested in the question, and so I don't know that I would have made a good soldier. Um, I think I would have pushed back most of the time. Um, would you would you sort of define yourself? Do you have to be that kind of guy, push somebody who pushes back? Who well, asks because I was that, pushed, uh, right? I push back, yeah. So we can blame the bullies. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's wonderful, Brian. I, I'll look forward to to going a little deeper with you sometime. Oh, by the way, that that phrase about uh, 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 the whole idea of of, of, of the bullies, and, yes, uh, and, and and rules that are meant to be broken. Yeah, um, that Michael that's Michael Crummy's very fine writing, and mm. uh, I salute uh, this wonderful addition to our script. Well, it's a wonderful film, and I hope everyone sees it. Newfoundland at Armageddon. It's going to air on CBC on Thursday, June the 30th, 
at 8 p.m. I'm sure it's going to be, uh, I, I would think, available online after that, or maybe there's a kind no, of... No, it will be. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. And Brian, thanks a lot for your time today. Brian McKenna, filmmaker, historian, author, and journalist. Thanks um, for the great conversation. Yeah, really, really appreciate your time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.